Welcome to this talk from the Canon Do Zen Meditation Center. Located in Mountain View, California, Canon Do's meditation practice is open to the public. For more information or to get in touch with us, you can visit our website at canondo.org. That's K-A-N-N-O-N-D-O dot O-R-G. Good evening. Good evening, everyone. Good evening. Hmm. When we uh, when we be become interested in this practice and we become interested in Buddhism, uh, we discover that there's an awful lot to learn. There seems to be an endless number of teachings in in buddhism so many and uh once in a while somebody will ask me you know out of all the teachings or out of all the millions and thousands of teachings of buddhism what's the most important one and i say the most important point of the buddhist teachings is not to be fooled by appearances of everyday things not to be fooled by appearances, which, which really means that we should not stick to our own viewpoints. And we should not stick to our own biases and our desires. And when we can give up sticking, when we can give up being fooled, this not sticking opens the door to the understanding of reality, the truth. And that in turn is the end of desire and the end of suffering. This was what I think is the most important of Buddha's teaching. He said it many ways and uh, it's also also the central point of Bodhidharma's teaching. In one, in one place, Bodhidharma said, the appearance of appearance as no appearance can't be seen visually, can only be known by means of wisdom. And that's, uh, if, you, if you try to uh, parse that statement or analyze it, you 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 get frustrated. It doesn't lend itself to an intellectual exercise because what he really means is you have to practice. The truth that an appearance is really no appearance can't be seen visually, can't be known intellectually can only be known by means of wisdom, which is what our practice emphasizes. Open up our own inherent wisdom. So the Buddha and the, and the Bodhidharma and all of the well-known teachers of our tradition, they understood that the human mind is is very easily caught up in appearances. 
and caught up in our, in our own preconceived ideas and, as well as our feelings. And so when we are caught up like that, we fall into a trap and we think that something is true because uh, we had some emotional experience or we had some intellectual experience or we experienced something through our senses or maybe just somebody convinced us. So we are caught by these things. They are appearances. And when we are, when we become caught in these ways, our mind creates a very limited view of the things of the everyday world and a very limited view of what our life is. And of course, as you know, our practice is to open up our view, open up our mind, see the bigger picture and not be caught. Suzuki Roshi tried to alert us to the dangers of being caught by appearances. Very simply, the title of his book, Not Always So. And so when we have a limited view, because of our clinging, it eventually hardens into very, very strong and firm beliefs of what is the nature of reality. And of course, this belief is incorrect. This belief is uh, misunderstood because the mind becomes very stubborn with its fixed ideas and it seeks for certainty of those ideas. And it seeks for certainty by clinging even harder because our mind uh, is, is uncomfortable with change. Your mind dislikes change. It's not comfortable with uncertainty. And when that happens, it's very difficult to accept new ideas or wider viewpoints. Uh, I feel it is, our mind becomes just like a stream that is blocked by very large boulders, unmovable, unmovable boulders, so that it cannot flow. And when that happens, the water becomes stagnant and cannot become refreshed. If you've read the Sandokai, you come across the statement or the teachings, light 
and darkness oppose one another like the foot before and the foot behind in walking. And this teaching tells us the true relationship between apparent objects. These apparent opposites, the foot that is before and the foot that is behind, they support each other. They're not opposites, although they appear to be opposites. So if you start to go for a walk and you step off with your right foot and you may think my right foot is the front foot, but in the very next moment, you move your left foot forward. So what you said about the right foot is no longer true. So it means that the idea that you've had in your mind about the front foot, it must change. The reality of the moment must change when things change. So what may appear to be the front foot in the next moment, it is the back foot. So the reality changes, but this changing supports us. It enables us to walk. If we stick to the first idea that was, uh, my right foot is the front foot. If we cling to that idea stubbornly, we won't be able to walk. But if we just walk without the mind engaging in such abstractions, then we have no idea of which is of which foot is which. We will have no idea of which is the head foot or the behind foot. And then we will know the meaning of walking without thinking about it. And we will know how the stream flows and refreshes itself. When we simply walk by putting one foot in front of the other in turn without thinking about it, then we are not fooled by appearances. We are not fooled by what seems to be the truth. When we are fooled by appearances, we stick to our own viewpoints and our mind becomes stubborn. Our mind becomes stubborn. So as we learn from our practice, when we learn from our practice the hard way, 
by engaging in the practice and experience, experiencing days and weeks and months of struggling and confusion. When we practice sincerely, continually, we learn that true reality is not limited by what we see or sense or believe. And when we grasp this point, we are ready to begin to let go of our one-sided views of the world. And we are ready to practice in a serious way. So as we know, as you all know, our practice is about recognizing and accepting the full reality that is in front of us. The full reality that is, in, that is in front of us, independent of appearances that come and go. <clears throat> Water is sometimes flowing like the river. Sometimes water is flowing and fluid. And sometimes water is solid like ice. And sometimes water is steam or vapor. And you can't hold it, you can't touch it. You can't see it. So in any given moment, what we may see or what what we may feel with our senses is not the full reality of water. It is simply its appearance in this moment. If, if we stick to a single idea or a single experience of water, such as, oh, it is something to bathe in, or it is something to drink, or it is something that the boat sails on. If we stick to one idea of water, we will not recognize the nature of water. Water is always changing. It takes many forms. And at the same time, the true nature, the unchanging nature of water is always present. And all things are like that. All reality is like that. Always changing. Always taking many forms. Always taking many positions. At one time the front foot, at one time the back foot. So if we want to recognize the true nature of the reality of our world, we have to avoid clinging to one idea or one experience about things. Each, each form of water is a different expression of water. Today, it is warm and fluid. Tomorrow, it will be frozen and solid. 
next week. It will be nothing more than a simple, a subtle damplet, a subtle dampness that you can't hold. Things take the form of things. At the same time, things are all of an entire reality. One whole being, always changing. And as one whole being, all things have the same value. So our practice <clears throat> is to treat everything as ourself. And know that our self is not separate from anything. If you light a stick of incense and offer it at home or on the altar of Kanando, if you say, this is just a stick of incense, it has nothing to do with me, then the incense cannot be the incense. then it's impossible to offer the incense straight. But if there's no separation between you and your offering and this stick of incense, then the incense is straight. And straight is the definition of incense. This is the nature of offering. And the same is true with our life. It has to be offered, it has to be offered according to its nature. When we offer the things of our life according to their nature, when we appreciate the things of our life without bias, when we don't attach to appearances, then we are doing what the Sando Kai is urging us to do, and that is not to pass our days and nights in vain. Thank you. So, uh, are there are there any questions tonight? Umar. Hi, Les. Um, Hi. Um, just want to ask you uh, your talk uh, sparked something in my head, and I wanted to ask you, but. If I if I'm on the correct path here, um, when we when people say pay attention, it's not really. I've started to that has started to shift in my being, and it has become more like it's about giving attention 
So it's like, just like when we donate money or donate our time or our effort, I feel it's becoming more and more like that, where we're just giving it without any, any you know, sort of uh, need for getting anything back. Okay. Yeah. Uh, can I suggest another another term? Yes, sir. Instead of saying giving, how about being being attention? Mm -hmm. Okay. So become the attention. You are the attention. You are attention. Thank you. Thank you. Ms. Diane. So, so it's our practice, it's our sitting, but yet there are so many teachings, so many things written, so many teachers giving so many talks and, and it, it feels like it's supposed to appeal to us intellectually. And yet, kind of in my gut, I know that's not true. But I guess, as you said, because we're humans and we cling and we want something concrete and something we can define and state with words. Um, but we do study, we do read. And, and so, how do we how do we balance that studying, reading, sitting, listening? And yes. <laughs> do you know what I'm asking? Yes. Yes. Um, yeah, this is our this is our biggest question. Um, you know, the world we live in today has its blessings in terms of the material goods, the medical treatments, the opportunities for safety and comfort. But I think what makes the modern world so different from the world where our traditional practice was nurtured, today's world provides so much opportunity for discovery, for excitement, for research, for creativity. There's so many opportunities. Today we have opportunities for all kinds of occupations. You know, I, I, I haven't studied much about the history or the society of eighth century China or early Japan, but I get the feeling they didn't have the opportunities that the modern world has. You know, think about when a, a young man or a young woman um, became of age, 
what choices did they have for what they could do with their life? Well, they could be a farmer, stay on the farm with their parents. Maybe they could teach at school if there was a school. Maybe they could be a clerk in some government office or an artist or a hunter or a fisherman. Today, the choices for what to do with your life or how to spend your life and the means that you will use for discovering things is so vast. that it's hard for us to keep the mind quiet for even a few minutes. There's just so much to do, to think about, to create, to enjoy. A thousand years ago, we didn't have, people didn't have such opportunities. So their mind could be more at rest. And it also allowed young people to think of or to consider that the choices offered them wouldn't really fulfill them. They said, oh, farming, being a bureaucrat, you know, being a fisherman, there's something more, something more. Mm-hmm. So that's how Buddhism flourished. Today, the world is so much different. Today, we might say, I hope there's nothing more. I'm overwhelmed already by what's here. Yes. (laughs) So it's a real, your question is a real challenge. How do we stop the mind or how do we quiet the mind so it can reflect on the simplicity and the fundamental nature of our world? Mm. Um, We're overwhelmed by stimulation an opportunity and creativity. How do we, like you say, how do we balance it with our practice? We don't know yet. We haven't discovered how yet. But we're working on it. And that's why we're all here. I'm I'm thinking about how when there's a tragedy or a disaster, and then people can't think about anything else. They just, it's survival. Like the people torn by war in Ukraine, everything's gone. All they can think about is survival. I mean, you know, but we, exactly what you say, we have so much that we're too comfortable. We're too stimulated by everything all around us. It's much more challenging. Yes. Thank you. So it's a it's a blessing and a challenge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, I, the, the trick of today's practice is how to use the blessings of modernity in a way that spiritually satisfies us. Ah, don't have, don't answer it. Don't answer it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think that's what we're all seeking. To understand that. Right. Right. Thank you. Hi, Lee. Hi, Les. 
um, while you were speaking, I, I uh, thought kind of came to me is that when we're sitting in meditation and we're feeling something, almost immediately we we take that something that we feel and start thinking about it. it it's it's so hard to just feel, you know, without um, falling into that trap of saying, what was this I was feeling? Well, maybe it's this, or is it that? You know, speaking in your mind about it. And, you know, it's, I think that's part of the, the, um, the trickiness of meditation is that just to, just to be with your, you know, with your breath and just to be with whatever comes through uh, in your thinking and not cling to it is that that's our really difficult task to, to try to accomplish. And, you know, that probably most of us have a lot of difficulty accomplishing it. So thank you. Thank you so much for your talk. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Lee. Thank you. Hi, Phil. Hi, Les. Thank you for your talk. I love the uh, example that you offered of uh, the incense stick in relationship to how uh, the difference between our, our accepting things, recognizing things as part of ourselves versus um, as something separate and uh, separate from us. And uh, the latter, in the latter mood or attitude, uh, in that attitude, it's maybe impossible to uh, put the stick in straight. I don't know if you remember uh, back at Haiku Zendo one Saturday morning when uh, we met with uh, our teacher, then uh, Comencino. Uh, took turns uh, offering incense and asking a question. And one morning you uh, offered, took a stick of incense and put it in very forthrightly, straightly. And then you pulled it up and you just jammed it in from the side and asked, what is the difference? And my memory of what uh, Coben said was, it is as you wish. That may, be, that may, may not be right, but um, I'm struck in the context of, of your talk tonight that in a way, our, uh, whether we put the incense, whether we treat the incense as part of ourselves or, or as something extraneous and uh, not all that important, might not be just a matter of as we wish, but might reflect our, our life really as it is. Do you have any memory of that, of what happened or, or uh, would you be, interested in, in commenting on it. I would love to hear 
Okay. Well, I had no memory of it until you reminded me, and now I do. I have a, a dim, a dim memory of, of doing that. And, you know, incense is not uh, something to be used casually. Incense has a long tradition of being how we make an offering. You know, in Asia, people go to the temple and they light incense and they offer it to the Buddha. Placing incense in the bowl is an offering. And as an offering, it requires our deepest sincerity. <clears throat> so to put in the incense this way, you know, <laughs> crooked, <laughs> as we wish, then it's not an offering. Then it's just sort of some kind of random gesture for no particular reason. Uh, and offering an incense stick, <clears throat> when we offer an incense stick and we remind ourselves, do it with full attention. Let me do this with full attention and with sincerity. And that gesture hopefully informs our life so that we take that attitude to everything we do and say to ourselves, let me do this. Let me make this an offering with sincerity. So, <clears throat> as you wish. Good, good one. Good one to, to ponder. Thank you. Thank you for that story from, thank you for, for that story from um, 50 years ago, 40 years ago. Thank you for your response. Ah, Giuseppe. Thank you, Les. Um, I have a question on the teachings um, that you mentioned, uh, that appearances are uh, just appearances. Um, I think we all get a glimpse of that uh, in our Zazen practice. Mm. Um, and uh, when uh, then uh, we go through our lives, when we go through our day, then um, <clears throat> I, I think we also get this, the glimpse that um, then we get caught by appearances um, again. Um, meaning that we, um, um, the appearances that the things that, that, um, uh, have, are a little more light, we take more lightly and, and not in an absolute sense individually. Um, when we are maybe sitting, 
we see in a bigger picture. Then when we start our day, we go through our day and we meet something that appear to our day, we easily tend to uh, fall under the spell of that appearance. Uh, each uh, in uh, his own way. Uh, it, and um, it, um, I, is it um, a little bit like falling under hyp hypnotic suggestion, you know, uh, getting uh, uh, all of a sudden uh, from our uh, straight uh, position being uh, uh, convinced uh, of how terribly important is this this thing that has just appeared um, and we fall under the spell, not able to see it in, 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 a, in a big picture. And uh, so my question is, is it correct to say that it's a um, exercise also of character uh, during the day uh, when we are off the cushion? that of uh, keeping our, uh, our um, flexibility without falling under the um, um, influence of uh, each single appearance. Um, so is it uh, a form of character and character building? Uh, I'm dissatisfied with expressing as a form of character building because it feels like something about me, 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 which is not. Uh, because, of course, as you said, it's uh, flexibility and extreme adaptability in which we don't put forward what we think is our, our self. But at the same time, it takes some character not to fall under the spell of appearances um, even if the appearance is a uh, uh, whatever is is the appearance in front of us that um, so can you tell me what is the way of looking at this what is the type of character um, that it takes to um, keep our uh, intuition of the Zen of, of like appearances being uh, uh, each part uh, small part of a big big picture uh, also during our day I think when we be become aware that we can be fooled by appearances and when we when that concerns us 
when we say to ourselves, I, I, I don't want to be caught up in appearances, and we make a, a determination to not do that, to practice, that's character. I want to know the truth. I don't want to get blinded by appearances. I want to know the truth of things, not just their appearance. I want to know that, and I will make an effort to know that. That strong de determination builds character. And Suzuki Roshi said that many times in his writings. You're, when you do zazen, your character will be built up. He said it a number of times. And it's true. It means being serious about our life and our practice and not being casual about it. And we don't have to say, oh, that's a part of Buddhism. That's a part of all cultures and all generations. I think Don might have a question. Les. Oh, okay, Don. Uh, yeah, yeah. Thanks, Les, for a wonderful talk. Uh, when when you say, uh, you know, we should see everything as a part of ourselves, you don't mean uh, me, Don, or or Diane, or Les, or Giuseppe. You're not speaking about that self or so-called self, right? Because I, I get a little, you know, it, it, it seems that, uh, like uh, I'm, I'm, that's the wrong. You know, it's, it's not. It's not my little made up self here that I should see as a part of everything or is everything a part of that? Right? Or which self are you talking about? <laughs> and and uh and does self really have anything to do with that? Is, 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 you know seems like we see beyond appearances when that self sort of Uh, it isn't so substantial. <laughs> no, there's a famous story. In, in, in the midst of a discussion with his student, Teacher says, I'm not interested in your intellectual accomplishments. 
Show me your face before your parents were born. So as you, as you work on that one, you, you will answer your own question. Yes, thank you, I guess. Fabio. Thank you very much for your talk. You mentioned in your talk that um, to see you know, the way things are, I don't remember exactly how you, uh, you, you posted it, but anyway, to see the, the things behind, um, to see behind the appearance of things, wants to um, use wisdom. How do we practice wisdom? Wisdom practices itself. When we understand the full meaning of, of being in this world and of, of, of being with people, of being with each other, of not treating other people as strangers. That is wisdom practicing. That is not us consciously practicing good deeds, you know. That is wisdom expressing itself, practicing. So in a, in a way, uh, we could say that our practice is about getting beyond the early phase stages of our practice where we are looking for a technique to gain <coughs> understanding, to get to the point where we, we don't have to worry about it. Something is expressing something without our defining it. And it's The, the, Dogen has an expression in the Genjo Koan when wisdom expresses itself he said it's it's like ripening the cheese in the yellow river doesn't make any sense except for the ripening part So wisdom means ripening. We are always ripening. And we're offering the fruit of our ripening to everything we do and everything we see and everyone we're with. Hey, Dave. Uh, thank you so much, Les, for such a thought-provoking talk. 
I was particularly struck by what you said about the difference between practice further back in history and practice in the modern world, where everything is so complicated, changing all the time. Something happens on the far side of the planet, and we hear about it in 10 minutes. And as I've been thinking about what you said, it seems to me that there are at least three different ways that people can react to that complexity, none of which is particularly good in the sense of practice. One is to just be sort of intoxicated by it, sort of like going to a late night club with lots of drinking and drugs and just dancing in the sparkling lights and just experiencing all of this without really ever wondering what's behind it or what it's all about or how you fit into it. And the second thing is that a lot of people, the reaction is fear, the, the, the complexity of it, the lack of understanding. Uh, they, they want something solid, something simple and understandable that they can just seize on and hold on to it. And I think we see a lot of that today. A lot of people get so trapped in their own rigid belief systems. And then there's the third thing, and I think this is this is my own particular pitfall, which is to just try to wrap your mind around all of it. Because if you can eventually just sort of get your mind wrapped around all of it, then maybe you'll figure it out. <laughs> and not, none of these things seems like it's very fruitful. My intuition is that our practice is really applicable. The same Zazen practice is applicable to all three of these ways of misunderstanding the modern world. And I wonder if you agree with that. Of course, yes. Our practice is relevant in, in everything we do. You know, if you have a feeling that you want to wrap your mind around everything, if you say, but first I'll sit Zazen. <laughs> Good. <laughs> and see, maybe you have a clue about how to wrap your mind around. That's, you know, that's, that's why we sit Zazen uh, early in the morning before dawn before there is anything to wrap our minds around, we sit Zazen. Then the sun comes up and, oh, there are all these things. <laughs> and I guess, like you say, if we really come to understand, we don't have to try to wrap our, wrap our minds around everything because our mind is in everything already. Yeah. Thank you, Les. Teresa. Hi, Les. How are you? Hi. Hello. Hello. Uh, thank you for sharing with us tonight what you think is the most uh, important teaching. You know, when, when you just quoted uh, Dogen right now, when you just said about the, his quote about the ripening cheese in the Yellow River, it made me think that I haven't read many, 
anything by you that is like that. So I wonder if if you have written anything uh, similar with that kind of um, sentiment, non non logical, and maybe you kept it for yourself. Or if you haven't. I don't think so. I don't think I have the confidence to do that. Or maybe I feel that that's the way they did it. We have to find another way that's more available to people. You know, Dogen gave that lecture or sermon about the, the, the Yellow River and the cheese. He gave that to a, a room full of, of monks. <laughs> I, I, I don't think I'd go into a meeting at, to, to teach Zen practice. I don't think I'd go into a meeting at a corporation and use that kind of metaphor. <laughs> Get out. <laughs> so it's a good question because those metaphors from those traditional teachers are very inspiring and they're unforgettable. So thank you. Thank you for your insightful question as usual. Thank you, thank you. I I just uh, <clears throat> recently read some quotes for, from you that uh, point in that direction, of course. Something you said about the, uh, it is that it is in the gut, not in the head. Understanding is in the gut, not in the head. Thank you. Okay, are we uh, are we approaching uh, the, the the time for this evening? Yes, I just have to say, when you said you don't have confidence for saying things like that, I'm thinking about when we went to Tassajara and we all participated in writing poems. I think you have a talent for doing poems and sometimes those kinds of teaching can come through poems so anyway i think i'd like to see some of that writing from you uh, no no promises <laughs> <laughs> this talk was brought to you by the canon zen meditation center in mountain view california for more information or to support this podcast, go to canando.org. That's K-A-N-N-O-N-D-O dot O-R-G.